Welcome to The Public Good, a weekly radio show and podcast brought to you by Partnership for the Public Good. Each week, we discuss important issues affecting the Buffalo Niagara region, from community benefits agreements to the foster care system to arts initiatives. Our guests span from PPG partners, elected officials, community leaders, and more. Our show is produced by Central Smith of WUFO, Power 96.5 FM, and Mix 1080 AM, with production support by me, Anna Blotto, Research Associate at PPG. The episode airs live on WUFO on Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. Hello and welcome to The Public Good. This is Deja James from Partnership for the Public Good, or PPG, which unites over 365 community organizations working to build a better Buffalo. We're delighted to join you every Tuesday morning at 10.30 a.m. on Power 96.5 FM and Mix 1080 a.m. You can also watch full video of every show on our YouTube page. Follow PPG Buffalo on Facebook and Instagram for more information on how to access full video and podcast of our show. And of course, you can always get great information on our website, ppgbuffalo.org. Now let's get into it. We are continuing our celebration and recognition of Hispanic Heritage Month this month from September 15th all the way to October 15th. And today we are joined by two people I really look up to in the community and colleagues of mine, Alexander Burgos and Talia Rodriguez, both who I've invited here today because they're part of that new generation of community leaders. And I really wanted to talk to people that are of the younger generation that maybe are newer to doing community work, but no less powerful than those have been doing it for decades now. And so I respect you both so much and your presence in the community and how much you've been able to forge in the short lifespans we all have so far. Um, and so I just want you both to introduce yourselves and let's get into a discussion about how you how you both got here. But first, just introducing yourselves and where you come from and all of that. Um, hi, everyone. Um, my name is Tali Rodriguez. I just want to thank you for the invitation, both of you. I'm honored to be here. Um, I am a Buffalonian, a West Sider, um, a Boricua. I am also a small business advocate and a community media person mm-hmm. and a mom. So I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much. Wonderful. My, my name is Alexandra Burgos. Everybody just calls me Alex. Um, I am a lifelong Buffalonian, but my family is from Puerto Rico. Um, also big West Sider here. Uh, my father has done business in the community for almost 40 years. Um, I've been doing community work for a number of years now. Uh, I started off in health education, youth mentorship, program development, event coordination, and that's all grown and evolved into uh, more meaningful ways um, and in larger capacities. But one of the biggest passion projects of mine, something that I am most proud of, is bringing the most underrepresented voices to the legislative process and uh, making sure that the community's voice is heard at the local and the state level. And how powerful is that to hear from both of you? And it's like, I mean, at the ages you are, and I know when I was younger, seeing people our age now, I'm like, how the heck did we accomplish this much in this little bit of time, right? And so 
I'm just so excited to have you both on because I really want youth to be inspired that they don't have to be older to do things, that you can really start early. And look how far progressed you all are in your own personal professional development. And I'm sure you're not even where you even want to be yet. And I think there's a lot of people who would already see where you're at as inspiring. So the fact that you even want to aspire to even more is just absolutely amazing. I also want to highlight that we're repping Cuddy Ben Yosin here today. My mom being from Cuba herself and then both my boricuas been okay, here. With so I'm so out of all that representing for the island culture. Right. Um, but I want to start with little Talia, little Alexandra. Okay. How do you how did you imagine you, you being an adult would be and where you wanted to be in your career? And how did you get to where you are of doing community work of of ending up in a space like this. I mean, I don't know if sometimes I know I ended up in the nonprofit space just by happenstance. It was mm -hmm. where I could go after college. It was easy for me to break into, but I knew I had a deeper, deeper passion to serve community too. And so I'm just wondering like where that passion came from for you. Where do you think that spark started and how do you think you got to where you are today? Um, I'll go first. Well, first, I thought when I was younger that I was going to be a backup dancer for Lady Gaga. And that did not happen. That did not happen. Lady Gaga. But, um, you know, needless to say, um, you know, being a young Latino in the city of Buffalo and also being a member of the LGBT community, growing up um, in the Latino community, um, you know, where I, there was a heavy presence, you know, of church influence, um, of conservatism and many other things that came into play. It was very difficult for me growing up. Um, I was bullied a lot in school. Yeah. Um, I experienced from a very young age a lot of prejudice, even within the community. Uh, and, you know, still do to some extent to this day. But I knew that from a very young age that for one things would not get easier mm -hmm. that was a realization i had to come to terms with very early on but i also knew that i instead of being shot down could be part of a change mm -hmm. i could be the one to change things right because from a very young age i was seeing things um at the cusp of being very transformative mm -hmm. right in the early 2010s you know, we were fighting for the legalization of same-sex marriage nationwide, and that happened, mm -hmm. right? Um, in 2008, Pre uh, President Obama became our first black president. Mm -hmm. So I was growing up at a time yeah. where we were not only shattering many ceilings, many glass ceilings as a country, but that I knew as a person, I could be part of that change. Now, mind you, that... You know, it sounds like it's a very inspiring thing, but it really was um, a realization rooted in survival. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, you know, that's what led me into my work that I went on to pursue as a career. So I did things in the community. I was part of a lot of different groups, um, you know, and then eventually I worked at Mocha Buffalo, um, you know, doing that community building work full time. I got a lot of people throughout the state connected to care, um, did HIV and STI testing right in the community, uh, connected people and navigated people through different social institutions, um, you know, ran youth mentorship programming, uh, did outreach in the community, education, so forth. Mm -hmm. um, and that led seeing what the people I worked with went through, not only myself, but 
seeing people who were even more disenfranchised than me, yeah. who experienced even deeper levels of marginalization, I felt so unsatisfied with the way that things were, yeah. the things that we've been told are right, but we've really just been told to get used to right? Um, as marginalized people. And that led me to get more involved civically. Yeah. And so, you know, I ran to be a committee member in the Erie County Democratic Committee. I'm so I proud do, of <laughs> Thank you. So um, you know, I do voter registration, civic engagement, teaching our community about the importance of voting um, and the legislative advocacy piece. Mm -hmm. Right. So bringing the most underrepresented voices from the city all the way to the state level and hopefully at some point the federal. Yeah. But. I firmly believe that anytime I open a door or a door opens for me, I've got to bring at least three people with me. Absolutely. At least. Absolutely. That is the bare minimum. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people know me from my work recently, but they don't know me from my early life or maybe my early career. Mm -hmm. But it's all very formulative and it all leads into what it is that I do now. Yeah, like people see the public persona when it's there, but they right. don't see the work that led to it and that you had to sacrifice to get there. Right. And that's I love that you told part of that because that's what I want people to understand. Even if they're in those beginning stages, there is a way to make it there. Yes. And it's not as complicated as a lot of people think. Like, I think people look up to people in you both's position thinking, how could I ever do that? I, I, they're amazing for doing that. And you are. But more of us can be like that yes. and it's not as unattainable as it seems and so i want to humanize that process a little bit more mm -hmm. so that people know it's accessible to us and as people of color we can change our our circumstances yes. right and have power and so talia i would love for you to talk a little bit about your journey as well oh absolutely so um I grew up on uh, West Tupper, mm -hmm. and I always say that I was biracial before the Gap commercials. <laughs> so I was born in 89, okay? Mm -hmm. And, like, um, adults and children really didn't know how to deal with me. Mm -hmm. um, I faced a lot of discrimination, much like Alex, within the, my own Latino community, yeah. um, which I think was formative for me. Um, but I also had, like, this privilege, right, of mm -hmm. being connected to like the history of the neighborhood. So yeah. my mother's Sicilian family had lived in the neighborhood um, for like four generations prior. So my son is the sixth generation of like people to like buy food, walk down Grand Street, you know, like, yeah. just, like literally live and enjoy a space. So I always felt tied to that, right? So like that was definitely a privilege, but um, I am also neurologically diverse. So one of the things that I would want a student to listen to, especially because I'm part of the, I think 2% of Latinas who have the privilege to earn a Juris Doctorate. Not that we don't have the intellectual capacity, but so many of my um, sisters don't have the opportunity to pursue one. So I yeah. use that language really specifically. Yeah. But because I'm part of that 2%, I really would want students to know I had a terrible time in school. Mm -hmm. um, being that I was neurologically diverse, um, I didn't learn how to read until third grade. So I had to go after school for like two years. I would like show up at the school and there's my first grade teacher. And she just knew I was smart. And like, she just really wanted to help me learn how to read. Yeah. So I think that um, you humanizing the process of success is something that is a huge like compliment to your colleagues. And for me, a lot of um, my ascent to service, right? Because that's what I think we all are, servants mm -hmm. for our neighbors, was just being inspired by our neighbors. Yeah. Like so many people in Buffalo work so hard, especially 
in different parts of the community. So when I started to feel bad for myself, I would very much like Alex look around and be like, wow, look at all these amazing people doing amazing things. Like I just need to lock in and figure out where my place is because Buffalo has this dynamic history of organizers. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Just don't always like access it. Yeah, you know? there's and there's like a resiliency that people from Buffalo have that I think that we're all kind of instilled with that yes. we're going to persevere despite the odds. I mean, like for most people, I mean, even 10 years, 20 years ago would say Buffalo is a dying city. You know what I'm saying? And now all of a sudden it's keep Buffalo a secret and all these special. Yeah, and I don't want to go to my brunch place. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> and it's trendy and all these other things. But we were here and we were on Grand Street before it had right. some of these places. And we enjoyed Gersh's and some of the other mm-hmm. stores and all of those things and where we could get the Asian food and go get our favorite things. And so now that other people are able to benefit from that. I think like it's for us to capitalize on what we bring to our own community and make sure we're not being displaced and removed from that history and that story um, and owning that. And I love that you brought out neurodiversity as well, because I think millennials in particular are the first generation to like embrace that and fully say, yes, I have this thing. Because I don't think any of our parents would even ever admit they have anything, even if they do. And so... And even me as well, like having ADHD and different things like that, like people, people don't talk about that or even like want to hide that. And I think we have to be able to like say that and like we're successful people with these things and we still are moving forward to advocate for ourselves and our communities. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. And so I want to ask about that piece. Alex, you mentioned it a little bit about being part of that generation that saw the Obama, that saw the passing of same-sex marriage, that like have seen all these glass ceilings broken. I think that's what inspires us and our generation so particularly to be such activists, uh, activist-minded. Um, I think Gen Z's following in our footsteps for sure, but I and I don't want to say we're the first activist generation because that would be disrespectful to the 60s and 70s and all of those. Yeah. But with social media and the information we have, it's a different type of yeah. Activism. Digital a- advocacy is definitely ours. It's we definitely it. And it and it has a further reach, yes. right? And so I'm wondering, with all of those advantages, how you all feel about being a part of that generation? How exciting is that? How does it feel? for us to really be trying to move this this needle forward and be doing it as young as as we still are. I mean, a lot of people that are in these elected, even what you're saying and what you ran for, as I'm sure before you, I don't even know if you're the youngest person probably who got into that seat or how young people are when they finally are able to even see things like that. But right. when I see elected offices and the Democratic Party, I see 40 and up. Right. And so I think now as you're seeing new mayors being elected that are 30 or 27, I think there was someone just elected. We're in the room. Right. And we're making decisions, too. Um, So how how does that feel and how do you feel about kind of being that millennial push? Um, Well, I think, you know, especially as younger people, we're redefining what it is that a community leader looks like, what it is that a business leader look like looks like and also what it is that even elected leaders look like, right? Historically, there has always been an archetype of what all these roles look like. And we've never been placed historically in any of those spots. We've never been part of that look. We've never been part of the archetype. And so I think it puts us in a very special place where we have to go against the rules because we were never 
included in the rules to begin with. So we get to shape Amen. our own experience. We get to shape our own advocacy. We get to shape our own look, our own feel. Right. And not apologize I, for that either. <laughs> I, I, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so I think that that's a really powerful thing. Um, and social media has been absolutely instrumental, yeah. you know, but I also think on the flip coin, uh, social media has also been very dangerous. Yeah. In many instances. Absolutely. We saw right here in our in our own in our own home how social media, how Reddit, um, amongst other things, fueled one of the ugliest most racist, uh, you know, crimes in American history. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, that was fueled by social media. Yeah. Um, and you see even Twitter with this whole ex debacle and, you know, all of it going down and people potentially have to, having to pay for subscriptions and yeah. this and that and the third. Yeah. You know, that infringes our ability to advocate for ourselves and communicate with each other absolutely i think a lot of my even understanding of activism started online with people exposing me to you know academic jargon intersectionality words i had never even had exposure to being from an inner city my mom didn't know anything about that my grandmother wasn't talking like that right but it was being able to see that discussion and discourse Mm -hmm. and being able to define my experience in a different way um, and having accessibility to information, I think it's important, but it can also be disinformation or negative, you know, influence as well. Um, So I love that you're bringing up that counterpoint on top of that. Um, Tali, I wonder how you feel about being in this generation. There obviously is a big balance to to carry um, trying to be a leader now, um, but what what has been your experience and maybe the benefits and challenges of trying to be a leader in this day and age? Um, I see that I have a great privilege. A lot of my activism was based on my grandmother who marched with Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. um, but she did so with her church. So mm-hmm. um, identity, right, that's linked to power structures that usually shape like the people that are part of them has been a huge kind of thing that I have to reconcile with. So yeah. I feel privileged because, as Alex mentioned, we sometimes have a, a hyper bifurcated community as it relates to racial. So yeah. um, I think 7% of media professionals are Latino nationally and only like a small percentage of that. I think they always say we're at 2 to 3%. So just know that, Deja, going ahead. We're at 2 to 3%. <laughs> so at 2% of us, I think, are Latina. So yeah. being able to like be here in this space, right? Yeah. Or being able to be in the space that I occupy at 91.3 that I really want you um, to come to, Alex, also yeah. um, is a huge privilege for me, even yeah. statistically, to know that as a political scientist, right? Yeah. But then also to be able to say, okay, I'm going to bring my whiteness and bring it and expose it. So like mm-hmm. one of the things that I've done as I've become a community media activist is I pursue genealogy. And I had this moment where I learned something about my white family that they had come on the Mayflower. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, I need to be honest about that. Like I need to show up. I need to talk about that when I purposely invite people from different communities, specifically the indigenous voices that I try to amplify because people don't talk about it. No. So it's so good for me to be able to do that. And it makes me nervous, Deja. I yeah. know how people are going to react to certain things. I don't know how I'm going to react to certain things because again, mm-hmm. you don't know like kind of the energy that it's going to bring about. But for me, it's a huge privilege to be able to be 
um, kind of ex- exist, but have like all of these things that are in conflict. Yeah. Um, and then to just shape my identity around that and say, okay, I realize that I want to represent this community, the Pentecostal community that I love, right? Yeah. But some of their values don't reflect my values, but I'm still going to show up for them. So yeah. having the media to do that in has been an incredible experience. It really has. I'm very humbled and I write too. Yeah. So being able to be in print is really important for digital advocacy for our Latina sisters so they can access us. And, you know, I just feel really inspired. I'm grateful. I see that this says since 1961 and like that's a huge thing. Yeah. Martin Luther King and my grandma was in 63. Yeah. So like even just being here is really special. I'm so excited for the invitation. Thank you to both of you. Of course. And I wanted you to mention because you write and you do all kind of stuff because you have that directory also for Latina businesses and things like that. Talk a little bit about that and how you what what inspired you to try and make sure people knew where they could go and where the resources are for Latino business owners in the area? In part, people like Alex and Alex's dad, like just being able to see strong business people hold it down for us in the West Side. Mm-hmm. Sam's, he already knows, you know where Sam's is. Mm-hmm. Um, and just being like, hey, I'm really proud of the people that I um, am in community with. But if I would tell the story, really like the true story, mm-hmm. um, Debbie Lombardo, who's part of the West Side Business Taxpayers Association, which I I joined deliberately because mm-hmm. my great grandma couldn't join. So it's like, I'm here. Yeah. Um, she actually had said to me, like, you know, a lot of people are doing home businesses mm-hmm. and I'm not always able to find them. And I was like, you know what? Like, we should just like start like checking on people as they're developing their talent and being like, hey, you know, like, what's your business? Do you need a logo? Whatever. Just like neighborly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. not even just from an information sharing thing. So I told Debbie the one meeting, I said, okay, I'm going to put together a list of friends that I know like that do like different things mm-hmm. um, and it's been transformative so we have an event coming up with M&T and it's just so crazy yeah. to be able to have this thing that you like um, create and I would say give birth to because I'm like a mom right but like that's so cliche <laughs> like this website that I made because it's very like rudimentary yeah. um, and then you know have national banks like M&T and Hispanic Heritage and like others like embrace it or even just nationally mm-hmm. be like, hey, that's cool. So right. it's been a huge privilege. It's under construction right now. Yeah. Um, but what I did find when I was um, taking a look at all our members and Alex has been a tremendous resource for me as I've been developing it, um, was that a lot of us have similar um, you know, areas of talent and areas of concern. Mm-hmm. And really quickly, it went from three to 100. Wow. And that's a real mm-hmm. number, three to 100. And I remember texting Alex like, I'm at 64. I'm at 89. Yeah. And it just like kept growing. So um, I'm one year in and, you know, just that's amazing in a year just to have all those businesses accessible to you and accessible now to community. I mean, it's that's how it starts. Those kind of grassroots conversations of I'm in the neighborhood. I hear my friends still in Pastelitos and they're the bomb. Right. And I want people and I and want maybe you on Instagram, right? And you're like, okay, you know, my just like, right. which corner are you on? And so, you right. see right. people's Facebook posts, their Instagram posts, and you're just like, there's so many different things people and pe- happening and people hustling. I know to provide for the community, and as they always have, you know what I mean? It's and, always been there. And and you know, I think too, we have so much talent, and I think again, people feel so jaded or look at the system and the process of formulating a business is very daunting. Yeah. Right. So something I've been very intentional about, you know, you know, I do a lot of events, Yep. a lot of events, small scale to large scale is that we always have our minority and women owned businesses there Yep. for one, for them to get a platform 
for two, for them to actually have their business and practice, you know, getting, you know, getting even if it's just a one day license, helping yeah. them through the process so that they can do that and properly sell yeah. and document all their sales. Yeah. That's something that, you know, I've been very adamant about doing. Yeah. And I hope that my next phase um, is actually taking those people and putting them in brick, brick and mortars, exactly. giving them, well, if they want, you know, um, yeah. And giving them the resources to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times, especially with the Latino and Puerto Rican community in Buffalo, there's always this assumption that because we've been here for a long time, mm-hmm. that we should automatically know mm-hmm. the way that things work. That's very um, you know, but oftentimes there is a lack in access. Yep. And uh, sometimes purposeful. Yes. Yes. Uh, and outreach and engagement and information and education sharing within our community. And it's assumed oftentimes that we should just know because yeah. we've been here. But yeah. that's not always the case. Exactly. You know, I mean, when you turn, you know, when you turn one years old and you're, you know, a year old, do you automatically know how to walk? Right. Right. You have to be shown these things. Exactly. Right. And so I think as a community, you know, we have to unite together more to not only assert ourselves, but, Mm -hmm. you know, to teach one another different skills, right? To hone in on what it is that we can do as a community when we're unified and when we have an agenda. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you already mentioned that. I think you guys are already becoming mentors yourself, which is amazing. But I'm wondering how how do you feel it is to reach back, like you said, to make sure you're bringing those at least three people along with you and things like that, making sure that business owners have those resources. You're, it's a purposeful decision that you're making to make sure the advocacy that you're doing is serving your community and bringing people forward, even to places where they maybe not not don't have the information or access to right now. Um, and so I'm wondering if there's anybody in particular who's done that for you both that's inspired you to kind of have that mindset or if it's just something that kind of naturally came to you that like, I need to bring other people with me. Um, I think there are a few different moments in my life that inspired that. Um, and obviously many people I've met along the way, but I'm always very intentional in the morning, you know, about remembering that I stand on the shoulders of a lot of different people. Yeah. People who are no longer with us and people who are still here. Yeah. Some of those people are like, you know, the Gabriel A. Rodriguez Post, the Latino veterans. You know, we stand on their shoulders. They yeah. fought for the freedoms we have today. Yeah. Um, I stand on the shoulders of much of the Latino faith community who have asserted our community and having a place, who have supported our community when they first come to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, I stand on the shoulders of people, you know, countless Latinos in the city of Buffalo mm-hmm. who ran for office even at a time when they were told that they couldn't do it, yeah. and many of which have won. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I will say uh, there's, there's a few people that really stick out to me and inspire me, but there's one in particular and I want to give him a very big shout out. Um, City of Buffalo Common Council member, a majority leader, David A. Rivera, That's who represents the Niagara District. Um, Thanks, man. The district I live in. Um, he is absolutely wonderful. And if you've ever gotten to know him, you know, outside of politics or um, have had to have a one-on-one conversation with him, he is so intelligent, so inspiring, and so resilient. Yeah. And to see the challenges that he had to overcome and what it is our community had to do 
to get him into that position yeah. is so, so inspiring. And I never take that for granted. Yeah. And every time I see him, I always give him a little speech. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to make you proud. Yeah. I'm not going to let this work be for nothing. Yeah. You know, but that's someone when I think of as like my go to mentor, the person I look up to in the community, that's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah. Tali, I'm wondering, like, and you've already talked about your grandmother and just so many other people that have inspired you to be the woman you are today. But just wondering if, like, along the way, if there's any other kind of moments that you can think of that brought you here. A lot. And I would say predominantly it's been people um, like Crystal Rodriguez. I have to say Tanya Staples, mm -hmm. Tanya Staples specifically in this space, right, mm -hmm. who would look at me and be like, go to that event. And I'd be like, me? Yeah. And they'd be like, yeah, I tell you, you go. And I'd be like, mm -hmm. but I'm not, this is it. And they'd be like, but you go. And yeah. like, by, in, in some ways, I felt challenged at different moments because I was like, oh, is it really, am I really that capable, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that there have been a lot of women, specifically um, in the African-American community who have mentored me, right? Mm -hmm. But also, like, in my own Latino community, Lucy and others, you know, very much like Alex, I benefit from, like, this very tight-knit community of yeah. community leaders who all, like, quote, know your dad, right? Yeah. And, like, for me, my father was a public servant, too, yeah. so definitely motivated by him. Um, but I think, for one, like, my mother yeah. being real West Side yeah. just really taught me Two things like one you stand up for what you think yeah. no matter what right and it doesn't matter what you uh are willing to lose like if you really feel inspired by something stand up and i think that like always allowed me to move forward and then the second was that um like women right like mm -hmm. my mom was always reminding me like you know look at how many women are in the room so people may be puerto rican or people may be reflective of your community but like is your voice being like heard yeah so her asking me those questions after those events that like tanya crystal sent me to, yeah yeah, was yeah. Like, i was like oh okay this is the perfect trifecta yeah. and then you know it would take me a long time to process maybe two days or something to be like oh wow this and this and this and put that connection together so mm -hmm. it was a slew of people yeah the number one thing is was pushing me into spaces where I maybe didn't feel comfortable because of yeah. my age or level of cool professionalism, yeah. but intellectually I was ready for it. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't have identified those by myself. Does it that make sense? It takes that push. I totally yeah. understand that and that confidence building. I think that's the biggest barrier is like, we, we come in with this deficit of we're from the such and such neighborhood. We're from such and such racial identity. We, we're we coming at a deficit of thinking we're not supposed to be here or there. Yeah. But we have to come in and say, I'm going to go no matter what anyway. Absolutely. And having those people to push you and give you those moments where you're like, oh, I'm doubting this, but push you forward, I think is the biggest thing. I think you both are already doing that. And by doing things like this and just doing the work that you do are going to show so many young people that they can do it too. So I appreciate you both so so much for being here i can't believe the time's already run out no it's like i want to interview you i want to learn more and more um so maybe we'll do a part two i already said that to the person last week but we'll see what we <laughs> can do <laughs> but thank you so much both for being here i think this was a great discussion this is Deja James with Partnership for the Public Good, or PPG, uniting over 365 organizations working to build a better Buffalo. It's the Public Good, Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. on Power 96.5 FM and Mix 1080 a.m.